Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. What would it be like if people were able to not just come together with Kumbaya, but most importantly, be able to engage in struggle to preserve the possibility of treating others in a humane and human way. Now, see, that's that's breakdance material. That's hallelujah material. That gets a brother fired up. Make MC Hammer look like a Boy Scout. Breakdancing in the name of joy and hope and justice and a deep, deep love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Laverne Cox Show. I'm Laverne Cox. I have quoted Cornel West's famous proclamation that justice is what love looks like in public so many times I have seen his words attributed to me. Justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private, West goes on to say. That feels like the truth to me. 
I discovered Cornel West's work through my college obsession with Bell Hooks. They published a book together in 1991 called Breaking Bread, Insurgent Black Intellectual Life. Cornel West is certainly one of America's greatest orators. When I started my college tour in 2013, I obsessively studied West. West is a professor, a philosopher, one of our nation's foremost public intellectuals, always in the spirit. As we say in the Black church, Dr. West allows that Holy Ghost spirit, coupled with a deep desire for justice to enter his body, to take over and to speak through him. Dr. Cornel West is a philosopher, author, professor, and activist fighting for truth, love, and racial justice. He is a familiar name in most households as a prominent Democratic intellectual and frequent guest on The Bill Maher Show, CNN, C-SPAN, and Democracy Now!, he has written over 20 books, including Race Matters and Democracy Matters, and is taught at Union Theological Seminary, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, among others. West currently co-hosts the podcast, The Tightrope, with Trisha Rose. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? Well, I tell you, I want to salute you and all that you are and all that you have done and are doing, my dear sister. I consider you one of the great love conductors on the love train. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that you started with love. I was thinking about how I wanted to start the conversation. I was thinking about how much I love you and love your work. And I want to just take a moment to invite the energy, the spirit of what you call that Black prophetic fire to enter this conversation today. When you speak and and, and when you write, I feel the energy of our ancestors speaking through you. I feel that you sort of get the spirit in in the way that we, you know, talk about in the church. And so I just want to invite that energy and spirit in today as we chat for the first time. But the beautiful thing is, is that it's always already operating inside of you. Mm. And you and I are at the deepest level kindred spirits because we come from a people who have been hated for 400 years and keep dishing out these love warriors. Yeah. Terrorized for 400 years and keep dishing out these freedom fighters. Traumatized for 400 years and dishing out these wounded healers. And anytime I get a chance to see you, to hear you, your spirit, your presence exudes and exemplifies and embodies this love warriorship. And that to me is always the bottom line in terms of the highest level of what it means to be human. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I did a lot of um, reading and preparation to prepare for our conversation today. And the way that I discovered your work almost 30 years ago was through Bell Hooks. And it was through the book that you and Bell did together, Breaking Bread. I was rereading parts of it last night. And I, this morning, I was like, I should call Bell and um, tell her that I'm talking to uh, Cordell today. So I gave her a ring this morning and I said, would you like me to say something to uh, um, Dr. West? And she said, tell him I love him even though he doesn't treat me right (laughs) (laughs) you know that that's a very bell um thing (laughs) you know she's she's so much an intellectual giant and uh she's one of the love conductors too on on the love train of course she comes at it now through the buddhist tradition yeah you know what I mean I know that I think you AME Zion is that right AME no not Zion just AME just AME just just AME just AME yeah 
and I'm Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost Baptist. And so all of us come out of the best, because the worst of that church is the patriarchy, the homophobia, the, the losing sight of non-binary, uh, precious folk and so on. Uh, but the best is still the love that pierces through even those structures that produces a bell hooks, produces a Laverne Cox, you know what I mean? Produces yeah. Brother West. One of the books that uh, I've always been most excited about uh, in, in terms of dialogue has been that Breaking Bread book. There's no doubt about it. So kind of you to mention that book. That's you know, very much. few people even allude or refer to that book anymore. Mm, which is a shame. It's um, it's it's thirty years old this year. Actually, you um, it was published in nineteen ninety one. And what you and Bell were trying to do, you were both at Yale at the time, and you were both trying to sort of, you know, have this public dialogue between black men and black women. And Bell also wanted me to um, ask you about patriarchy and where you are with patriarchy. Yes. I would love to hear your thoughts now at this stage in your life about about patriarchy, Black men and patriarchy, and your relationship to um, how you, where you've examined your own relationship to that in your life. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I should add as a footnote yes. that the uh, the copy editor to Breaking Bread mm-hmm. is now a towering figure. Her name is Imani Perry. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That Imani was an undergrad at Yale. And I say that because anytime we talk about any form of evil, patriarchy, white supremacy, homophobia, predatory capitalism, repressive communism, whatever ism that loses sight of the humanity of folk, that one of our responses has to be trying to help shape and mold and to the best of our ability, produce folk who become forces for good against that evil. Yes. That's why when I think of Imani Perry as a student and now a towering figure, I say, well, if my work will speak for me, then the question of who we help push and affirm and encourage and empower. So anytime I I think about patriarchy, one of the things I want to say is, what have I done to try to kill it? Because patriarchy is killing other folk. Amen. I don't want to be narcissistic or solipsistic it's just about me if i come to terms of patriarchy then patriarchy has a chance of being dismantled no it's got to be collective absolutely because it's systemic it's an institutional structure of domination exactly so these days i think patriarchy is running amok you can see it in the culture and yet we've got some strong forces including yourself and others Mm-hmm. And Bell and others who are countervailing against the patriarchy running amok. You see. And so anytime we talk about patriarchy, we want to understand it as a balance of forces, resistance and domination, but relative to of the structures of domination. Yeah. And when I think about breaking bread and relationships between Black men and, and, and Black women, there's so much contempt right now. Colorism feels like it's like ripping our our community apart in relationships with Black men and Black women. And, and patriarchy is tied to all That's of that. That's very, very true. I think that colorism has always been operating in such a way that it's ripping us apart. It's just that under Jim Crow conditions, it couldn't operate mm-hmm. in a broader way. Now, these days, we've got unprecedented opportunities 
for a significant slice of us who are part of a black middle class, part of a black bourgeoisie. And we have to make sure that no matter what our social status is, that our spirit's intact, our sensitivity with the folk catching hell is strong, and therefore the connection between patriarchy and colorism and class and even empire and homophobia has to always kick in. Yes, the capitalism piece feels very pressing it right now, particularly when one thinks of, of colorism in relationship to patriarchy. And I think the piece too, where seeing Black men musical artists be such arbiters of colorism so so blatantly you know that's really what i'm thinking in the in the pain that that causes the pain and the trauma that that causes for so many black women out there and you you obviously talk about the catastrophic the traumatic and and the lives and the experiences of, of black people all the time. And I just, was there a moment for you, perhaps it was just in the text of Du Bois and, and Socrates and, and, and whatnot, where there was a trauma or where there was something, you know, a moment where you had an awakening of sorts, where you died, where you, you always talk about, you know, philosophy being the space where we go to learn to die. Is that an ongoing process for you? Was there a moment, you know, in your early scholarship where, where something shifted for you around? And was there something traumatic, I guess, um, mm. in relationship to all that? Your questions are so good and high quality. I wish we had four hours rather than whatever amount <laughs> of time you want to take. But um, I mean, right now, the death of my mother, that's the major traumatic uh, mm-hmm. event in my life, the biggest mm-hmm. catastrophe. Uh, when I go back, certainly when I got kicked out of school and no school would take me because I was a young gangster. How old were you when you were kicked out of school? I was kicked out of school when I was seven years old. Mm. refused to uh, salute the flag. Mm. And I got in a fight with my teacher and we ended up with a little riot there at Camellia Elementary School on Chocolate Side of Sacramento. Mm. And I got in very, very deep trouble. I knew that this was going to be a turning point in my life because mom was a teacher, not Mm. in the same school, but a teacher. And dad uh, came home early, you know, and got his belt out. That would be one. Uh, When I think of Martin Luther King Jr. being shot, because I was trying to be a great athlete at that time and track star, it hit me so hard that I decided then that uh, his legacy was something that I would try to always view as a standard of uh, moral and spiritual excellence and aspire to in whatever form of life I pursued. Those were probably the most discernible ones Mm-hmm. Beside the deeply personal ones in terms of, you know, relationships and things. I won't get into all of that right now. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's really for me, and I'd love to hear what you have to say, my dear sister, is uh, is the Black musicians. Mm-hmm. It's Donny Hathaway and John Coltrane and Sarah Vaughn and Carmen McRae and Gladys Knight and Dramatics and the Whispers and things. They're the ones who, for me, provide the kind of spiritual resources, the spiritual wherewithal to withstand whatever catastrophic effects are bombarding me. Yes. And there there have been many lately. I want to actually read a quote of yours about music that is, that is so beautiful that my brother reminded me of um, when I spoke to him earlier about you. You've said of music at its best is the grand archaeology into and transfiguration of our guttural cry. 
the great human effort to grasp in time our deepest passions and yearnings as prisoners of time. Profound music leads us beyond language to the dark roots of our scream and the celestial heights of our silence. That's some beautiful prose, Dr. West. Mm, <laughs> you know, mm. I was thinking one of the main reasons I wanted to have a conversation with you is that you, for over 40 years, you have been a freedom fighter. You've been a love warrior, um, teaching at prisons, getting arrested, protesting, being canceled, you know, you know, and all of the things. And yet you still are fighting, yet you still show up. Last year after, you know, post George Floyd and post Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade and just all of what was going on in the world. And really for me, the trauma of repeatedly seeing Black people murdered on camera. Yeah. Our nervous systems are made to see people be murdered on camera. That is That's not true. normal. That's not normal. And so I broke I broke down and it was I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to a protest. I couldn't speak. I, I had to get myself together. How have you kept going all these years in the fight when it's hard, when it's traumatizing, when people are trying to cancel you, when people are saying all kinds of crazy stuff about you and you keep speaking truth to power? What keeps you in the fight, Dr. West? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one is my dear sister, in all honesty, that when I see persons like yourself and others who have made a promise to be true to their calling based on the best of a tradition that has shaped them at the deepest spiritual and moral and intellectual level, then I know that the cloud of witnesses that we all at our best want to be a part of is always worth it. It's always something that allows us to make whatever risk and take whatever costs we need in order to keep it going. So that no matter what the immediate consequences are, the quality of the persons of Harriet Tubman and Ida B. Wells Barnett and Sojourner Truth and Martin and Malcolm, that the quality of who they are, their sincerity and their integrity is worthy of our preservation manifest in our lives, regardless of whether it looks like there will be immediate victory. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, during the Obama years, you know, and he had a whole lot of loving folk who didn't treat me too lovingly. Mm-hmm. And that's all right, because everybody don't love everybody equally. But that was, I was, can I tell you, that was deeply painful for me to watch. Um, so during, during the Obama administration, you were very critical of, of the president at the time. And there was tremendous backlash from um, the Black intelligentsia, from, from many people who took issue with you being critical of Obama. There, there was so much love for him and the criticism folks just were, were not able to receive at the time. No, it's true. I mean, I thought he was too tied to Wall Street. None of the Wall Street gangsters went to jail, whereas so many of everyday people were going to jail at the time. I thought he was too blind when it came to dropping drones on innocent people. Those are war crimes for me. 563 drones dropped, uh, 2,000 or so innocent people killed. So it was hard to be critical of Brother Barack Obama because he's so brilliant. He's so poised. Mm -hmm. But any president, no matter what color, you know, when they tied to Wall Street greed like that, when they tied to drones uh, like that, when you're not really coming out but the critique of mass incarceration and the police and allowing the militarizing of the police to take place. So you end up with a Black Lives Matter movement under a Black president, a Black attorney general, and a Black Homeland Security cabinet secretary. 
Indeed. That's just the people themselves expressing their own critiques. And I resonated with that critique in that regard. But that doesn't mean that Barack Obama was not in some way a force for good. He was just, for me, too milquetoast, too centrist, too moderate, and too tied to the, uh, the powers that be, and not tied to the least of these enough. That was really what it was about. Is there anything about that period that you would do differently about around your critique of, of Obama? There were many people at, at the time who agreed with your critique, but thought that the, that the language and the tone was less than, than humanizing. All these years later, do you any regrets or how do you feel today? Yeah, I, I think that people have people have good ground for saying some of my language was a little bit too hyperbolic. There's no doubt about that. But that's just the way I am. It really <laughs> is. The gang, I got gangster elements even in my my fire. And sometimes that spills over. Mm. So I could have said that, for example, uh, he's too tied to Wall Street, but I reached a point where I was calling him, you know, a black puppet of Wall Street. Yes. Well, that's that's my language. It's hard not to be true to my language. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like asking Eddie Kendricks not to sing falsetto. I, mm. I, it's hard to. And yet when I listen to it, I said, "Ooh, that may have turned some folk off. And, I, and, and, and they're right about that. So then I'd have to come back and I would use a different language, but that language had already taken off. Next thing you know, it's the Internet and everywhere. Mm. So in that sense, yes, I think all of us ought to be able to look back and be critical and self-critical. But I certainly would not have in any way attenuate the orientation of where I was going. Mm -hmm. Because we're really talking about the plight of the least of these under any president, no matter what color they are or what gender they are. Mm What was that like, though, in the midst of it, right? In the midst of, and I've, I've, I've sought interviews that you gave at the time when, you know, the um, Michael Eric Dyson piece came out. What was it like continuing to go on television, continuing to get arrested, continuing to go to protests, continuing to teach when there was such vitriol? For me, when I've had people, when I felt misrepresented, right, publicly, I'm as a public figure, when people are sort of misrepresenting what my intentions are, it's so painful. And I, re- I have this desire to be understood and just it gets like how can I keep going on and going out there when people are so cruel and you kept going out there and it, it, and it was it was bad it was really really bad so um honey what's going on how did you no, I, I mean it is different you know we get my dear brother Dyson coming at me hitting me below the belt that's a little different than some of the right wing folk on Fox or yes, some it's of the always different when your own people are coming for you so that does hit differently. But, you know, as a free black man and as a, uh, a Christian, though, I always had a, have a sense that I should never, ever be surprised at any kind of evil or paralyzed by any kind of despair. So I could be hurt. It could be painful. I could be upset. But. I should be surprised, which means that I've always got some gas in my tank Mm. to keep going Mm -hmm. and recognize Dyson's still my brother. He's still got some positive things to say. I'm just coming at him tooth and nail in the name of the truth that I understand. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And same would be true for whoever it is, right? Wing folk, the Nazis, same is true for, you know, gangsters uh, like Trump and others, because I know I got some gangsters in me like everybody else. Uh, so in that way, 
I could never conceive of circumstances under which I would not still come out swinging in the name of love. And I think, you know, what one of the things that myself would always say is that, you see, our love for Black people is unconditional. It's not quid pro quo. It's not if you love me, I will love you. I love you because you love me. No. When we go into a church or a mosque or a temple or a community center or even a nightclub to speak that we're loving Black people because Black people are worthy of being loved, regardless of what they say or do to us. Yes. And nobody can take that away. Mm. Amen. Now feels like a great time for a short break. We'll be right back, though. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape Fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor and meanwhile the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds lady whistledown's pen 
we're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Okay, we're back. Let's keep the conversation going. One of the things I really, and it, and it keeps my own moral and ethical compass, you know, sort of in tra- uh, on track and, and, and in the right direction is you always talk about the least of these. You always talk about poor and working people and what we can and should be doing for them. You've spoken how you were sort of encouraged by some of the early signs of this current current administration. And I, you know, I'm worried because there's, you know, there's right. no $15 minimum wage, right? That we haven't That's been right. able to raise, a, a, right. raise the minimum wage for poor and working people. And that um, the way in which our politicians are so corrupted by money and politics keeps the the um, concerns of poor and working people on the periphery. What can we be doing now to hold our politicians accountable when they're really more accountable, seem more accountable to special interest and to, um, you know, big money? There is an opportunity to shift things structurally. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so terrified that we're not going to take it for the least of these, for the people who are mm. most uh, vulnerable. My dear sister, you get at the heart and core of what my vision and vocation really has been. I, I deeply appreciate that. Because those words in the 25th chapter of Matthew mean the world to me in terms of what you do the least of these you, you do unto me. I think in the present moment, on the one hand, we got the fascist threat still operating with, with Trump and company in the Republican Party that's undergone a fascist expansion. So even a Liz Cheney. Oh, yeah. who has been wrong and cold and callous and indifferent to working people and poor people, her whole career yeah. ends up having a moment of integrity because she doesn't want to succumb to fascists taking over her party. And I, I, I salute her for that moment, as it were. But when it comes to somebody like Brother Biden or Sister Harris, see, Brother Biden, I mean, he's got blood on his hands. He got four crimes against humanity, mass incarceration, invasion and occupation of Iraq, the unleashing of Wall Street greed with the repeal of Glass-Steagall, a vicious Israeli domination and occupation. He has been not just a supporter, but he's been an architect and bragged about it up until recently. So he can change. I believe anybody can change. Amen. Amen. And his, his, his capacity to change with the relief bill and the infrastructure bill and talking about white supremacy and Jim Crow. I applaud that. It reminds me of LBJ in that regard. But also when it comes to these issues of foreign policy, like what's happening in Gaza. Mm-hmm. And he finally makes a decision to call for a ceasefire and people want to give him some moral prize because he's engaging in such courageous action. I say that's ridiculous. We got to be honest about this. And it's sad to see that, uh, you know, we don't have forces in the Democratic Party that are strong. And I thank God for Brother Bernie Sanders and Brother Rokana and uh, Sister Marie Newman and others. And thank God for Corey. And They're members Rashida. of the squad who have spoken out. But the squad who's trying to push this through. But it's still just it's not enough. And I must say, when it comes to our black politicians, my dear sister, it's a sad affair. We've seen cowardliness. 
increasing capitulation. And it's a sad thing. And that's true, not just in terms of the way in which Palestinians are being treated. But when you get somebody like Biden who stands up and says, this is not a racist country. You say, get off the crack pipe, brother. You can't tell the truth. And then Sister Harris echoes that. Then Brother Clyburn echoes that. And you know, if he said this is a racist country, then they would say it's racist because it just echoes of the boss. Mm. And that's the last thing we need. We need folk with integrity who are willing to tell the truth. How can you even think that America's not deeply racist? And not a racist country. That doesn't mean every individual in the country is racist. Institution structures deeply shot through with white supremacy. Go on and tell the truth. Don't deny it. And then highlight the countervailing forces against it. That's the crucial thing, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing about America being a homophobic country and the same thing about it being a classist country. And it is an empire. It's an imperial country. But that doesn't mean anybody in the country is homophobic. Everybody in the country is sexist, but it's a deeply sexist society. So when you get these kind of moments of cowardliness, you say to yourself, yeah, the Democratic Party establishment is still in its milquetoast form, even though it's doing some very progressive things in other spheres. And I do want to support those infrastructure bills and and, and other such efforts. It's, you know, just telling the truth about that, about America being a racist country, what is intense to me right now, looking at the state of things, is the, is the, the extent to which folks, particularly on the right, are being radicalized by social media, by yes. Facebook, by conservative media. There's such um, persistent propaganda and misinformation happening in conservative media that feels almost insurmountable, right? We t- you, you are always talking about telling the truth. And and when, you know, Kellyanne Conway's, you know, alternative facts, you know, I think she coined that on Meet the Press. The <laughs> right, idea right. of alternative facts means that we're talking about misinformation. We're talking about lies, mendacity, as you, as you would say. So in the face of mendacity, of lies, of propaganda, and people who aren't even exposed to the truth, right? Who have not developed the critical consciousness because we don't value education in in, in this country. How can the truth even break through when our media has done such a bad job, you know, Establishment media has done such a bad job of informing the public. And then there's such a concerted effort in sort of conservative media to, you know, propagandize. So then how does the truth prevail? How can the truth come in this current moment, in the current state of our media? Yes, I think historically the truth is always a flickering candle against the backdrop of the night. Mm -hmm. Always. Mm -hmm. Think of what Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman were up against in terms of lies and crimes and mendacity and criminality, the normalizing of hatred and greed and white supremacy and male supremacy and predatory capitalism. So in that sense, even though social media is a new form of technology to facilitate lies and crimes and mendacity and criminality, the truth is always headed toward the cross. Mm. So we shouldn't be surprised when you see how mighty these devilish lies are. But we have to believe in the end that there's something that's almighty or mightier Mm. than the lies and the crimes such that it will not suffocate and saturate the world and history in such a way that there's no truth tellers left. I mean, look at the Soviet Union. They thought they could just 
completely eliminate the truth tellers in the name of communism. Mm. And I say this as a leftist, but you got to tell the truth. Yes. Look at South Africa. They thought they could completely do away with the truth tellers mm. with Alba, Tina, Susulu, and, and, and Nelson Mandela and the other. Look at the United States. They think they can completely do away under McCarthyism with Claudia Jones and, and, and Ben Davis and the communists trying to tell the truth. Not always right on everything, but certainly right about capitalism and racism and so forth. So in that way, the liars never completely wipe folk out. And mm-hmm. I just want to be part of that cloud of witnesses Amen. that keeps alive that tradition and then pass it on to the sister Laverne Cox says. Because <laughs> I, I, I read it in the Google all the time. I said, sister Laverne Cox said, justice is what love looks yeah. like in public. And it makes me want to break things. Just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. Um, yes. I sent I yeah. a video of you um, saying that to my boyfriend a few weeks ago, and he was like, that's exactly right. And to have that, to really know what love is, to know what that tenderness feels like in private and then have a yes. vision for what that could be in public is just so powerful to me. It just, I always think, can you imagine what it would look like if our policies were built in love and in the truth and that we could love everyone, right? That we could have the humanity, the beautiful humanity of every citizen highlighted in our the way we do public policy, the way we structure our institutions. If that was from a place of love, that Absolutely. would be this beautiful, beautiful revolution. But you, you understand, you understand. There's a song, I've been blessed teaching prisons for 41 yes. years. And if there's an anthem of my brothers in prisons, it would be uh, Zoom by the Commodores. Mm. I don't know if I know that one. You remember that? Zoom, Zoom, I like to fly away. Well, I like to fly away. Oh, well, yes. Well, I like to fly away. Zoom, yeah. Zoom, baby. I, I. And you dream, it's a freedom dream. And it reminds us of the great classic of Robin Kelly's book on freedom dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's this dream of what things would really be like if our humanity and dignity were affirmed across race, across any form of national identity, gender, sexual orientation, and so forth. What would it be like if people were able to not just come together with Kumbaya, but most importantly, be able to engage in struggle to preserve the possibility Mm. of treating others in a humane and human way. And see, that's that's breakdance material. That's hallelujah material. (laughs) That gets a brother fired up. Make MC Hammer look like a Boy Scout in terms of breakdancing in the name of joy and hope and justice and a deep, deep love. Yes. When, when I think about, I was talking to my brother this morning about the, the Black prophetic uh, fire and tradition It's and hope and, and being in your blues man, of course, and that in the blues and the c- catastrophe of the blues is joy. And there is yes. always the joy there. And when I, of course, whenever I think about joy, I think about what Brene Brown says about joy, that she, in her research, she discovered that joy is the most difficult emotion to feel, that is the most vulnerable emotion to feel because often when we are truly in a space of being joyous, we are forebode joy. We wait for the other shoe to drop. So to allow ourselves to feel joy is the most vulnerable of emotions, but that is so deeply rooted in in what it means to be Black in America. And there's so many people on social media now talking about Black joy and how important it is to lean into that. Leaning into Black joy is leaning into that Black prophetic fire. It's leaning into the things that, you know, have sustained us for, for centuries. And it also is incredibly vulnerable. Exactly right. And vulnerability is really the 
the source of everything that allows us to be all that we can be. I think for um, vulnerability, it's often thought of as weakness. And, you know, number one vulnerability shield for, for men is to not appear weak. And so I think that that among men that needs to be a, a conversation around letting go of those those ideas like letting those ideas die so they can come to a more in, more in line place but that notion of associating vulnerability with a uh, a willingness to be crushed you see they're not the same thing mm. that vulnerability is a way of allowing you to open up such that you end up being stronger so when you do have a confrontation, when Miles had a, had a conversation with the police and they beat him down like a dog and he was swinging, I'm swinging with him too. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's moments in which your strength is not going to be manifest in vulnerability. Your strength will be manifest in a tenacity against a, a force of coercion. But in terms of living and in terms of relationship, the strongest of us whatever our intention, whoever we are, it has to be one in which we're willing to give in order to receive. And we're giving in such a way that the receiving that we have has a bottomlessness to it. That's what love is. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you receive, the more you're able to give. But you can't do that without vulnerability. It also means you're woundable. It also means that you can get hurt. And that is the... um, fortunate or whatever thing about love, it's a beautiful thing, but it means we can get hurt. And we have to be willing to risk that hurt, to be woundable, to really and truly be vulnerable. That's true. No, but that's that's wisdom at the deepest level because, you know, Sappho, a, a great poet from the Greek period, or at least among the Greeks, where she says the bittersweetness is constitutive of the love. So every love you're going to get hurt. Mm. The question is, how are you going to deal with the hurt? Or are you tied to a love such that you can't survive without that love, which goes hand in hand with the bittersweetness? Because mm. if you think you can love with no bittersweet, you better go on to Disneyland. <laughs> Stay on Main Street. Drink your soda pop. You know what I mean? It won't kill us. And I think that's what I always have to remind that's myself right. of is to face the pain. And we're going to have to face the pain, but it won't kill us. I can survive that's, it. That's exactly right. I can right. survive it. Vulnerability comes from the Latin, as you know, vulnos, which means wound. Yes. There is no love without vulnerability, just like there is no intimacy without vulnerability, which means the question becomes, what do you do with your wounds? And with those wounds, will you be a wounded healer and joy spreader, mm-hmm. or will you be a wounded hurter and a joy crusher? And all of us have these poles inside of our souls. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to black folk, you see, ooh, we are a great people at our best. Yeah. We are world historical people at our best mm-hmm. because we have looked unflinchingly at the most grim and dim realities of catastrophe in the modern world and has kept dishing out these persons of heightened vulnerability who look at their wounds and still want to heal others rather than just go about trashing others. That's what Martin King's about. 
That's what John Coltrane's Love Supreme is about. That's what Mahalia Jackson's about. At our best. That's what Laverne Cox is about. I'm telling you, because the thing is, people don't understand the connection between your historical role as transgressing some of these ugly, homophobic, anti-transgender sensibilities, but always situating it in the caravan of love of the Isley Brothers yeah. or the love train of any persons who are wrestling with their wounds in such a way that they're concerned about healing others. That's the cloud of witnesses that I'm talking about. You know, I often think that it's not an accident that the first openly transgender, you know, person to be on the cover of Time magazine to be nominated for an Emmy is a Black trans woman, and a Black trans woman who deeply understands the tradition of Black folks in America. And, and, and I'm very clear that if I've ever done anything great in my life, that it is because of the ancestors, it is because of the transcestors, and I've allowed myself to be used. That I've, yes. that I've allowed that. Yes. I think it's important to note when you always say the best of us, and I think too, the but the worst of us though, right? You know, the worst of Black folks. I think about that um, Sam Jackson's character in Django Unchained. And, you know, we know Black folks sold other Black folks. We know that Black uh, men have been horribly misogynistic towards Black women. And so the, so there is the trauma piece, hurt people, hurt people, right? There's such a deep pain. So there's all these things that we have done, that we do out of pain, out of trauma. There's the accountability piece and there's making amends. And how do we heal the trauma, build trauma resilience and shame resilience? And these are huge parts of of my life and my work. And I know that so much of the um, transphobia I've experienced in my life has been from other Black people in a lot of pain, right? That there is is historically a legacy of of literal emasculation of Black men, right? When Black men were lynched, often their genitalia was was cut off. There's this, this history, you know, in cinema right. and of, of the literal emasculation of Black men. So there's a lot of pain, I think, that we are aware of and not aware of attached to that. And that has been often projected onto me as a Black trans woman. And right. how do we reconcile that pain without becoming the oppressor? I mean, one is always recognizing the degree to which we're all on a human continuum so that we never put ourselves above others, even when they are morally and spiritually wrong, because we know there's elements in them that are in us, which means they have the capacity to change, which means that at the moment they engage in gangster activity and we have a gangster element inside of us. And that doesn't mean we're all the same. It just means we made different kinds of choices in this regard, you see. So that the kind of internalized oppression that the great Audre Lorde talks about. And of course, Bell Hooks talks about this as the great theory of radical pedagogy and education that she is. How do we attempt to kill and murder the forms of internalized oppression inside of us so that we are not in any way in our actions and perceptions reproducing it, even though we claim to be progressive? And that's a human battle. That is a human battle. And in the end, I think it's really the arts and certain stories of great examples, because in the end, the only thing we really have to go on in terms of our ability to connect with each other, with the love and the tenderness, are the examples. You see what I mean? See, Sister Laverne Cox is a living sermon. It ain't just what is said. It is what is lived. But what is lived is still a human life. You know, it's not a life that somehow is 
transcendent in, in myself as a Christian because I go back to that Palestinian Jew named Jesus. He's questioning the existence of God. My God, my God, why does that forsaken me? He's questioned his ability to conform to any kind of will of God. He's got a whole host of struggles going on inside of him. And it looks like for a moment, he's an atheist. For a moment, he's an agnostic. Mm. Because why? He was the word made flesh. John 1, 14. It came to dwell among us. There's a whole lot of interpretations of that, right? Oh, for yeah. Christians, it might be. Jesus and other spirits for human beings is like the truth made flesh, the embodiment of it, the concretization of mm -hmm. examples. That's the key traditions that constitute those examples coming together. Mm -hmm. And it's those traditions that we try to keep alive. And that's why there's so much spiritual warfare against young folk, especially black young folk. If you can keep them from certain kind of loving spirits, mm. sacrificial spirits, courageous spirits, only present to them the successful spirits who are accommodating themselves to a status quo, mm. well-adjusted to injustice, but got big spectacle, big money, big status, big position, then the young folk no longer even have a perception. They can't even see what greatness is. Mm. All they see is success. Mm. They can't see magnanimity. All they see is prosperity. Mm. They can see integrity. All they see is cupidity. Oh, I just want to be a lover of money. I just want to be a lover of status. No. Keep your money. Have your status. But you better know something deeper was, came into the flesh. Some Amen. love came in. Amen. Some justice was injected in there. Yeah. Some sacrifice was injected in there. And those who exemplify that example, exemplify that kind of orientation, they got something to offer. Absolutely. They got something to offer. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. It's, it's the example, but I think I also think we should be in therapy. <laughs> I also think we should be in therapy. I also think that we need to be dealing with addiction. If there is addiction, you know, that, that there's 12-step programs, that there's there, there are ways that we're in actively engaged in right. a process of healing. So yes, it really is important to have that embodied in the somatic work that I do in my trauma resilience, that all of this has to be embodied. The beautiful resource of our ancestors, the beautiful resource of those examples you you set forth is so so important that that is embodied, that we feel that in our nervous systems. But then I think sometimes too, the trauma is so great. The abuse is so so real that we have to seek seek some help too, that we oh, have oh, to absolutely. go. Absolutely. Well, you know, my, my, my deeply uh, beloved Anna Hita, she's a yeah, professor of psychology, but also part of addiction studies. Oh, yeah. And so she gets a chance to reflect and give me deep, wise insight as to how you come to terms with different therapeutic options that mm. can empower yes. different clinical options that can empower. But even those must have a spiritual dimension. Here we, we, we go back to bell hooks again. Yeah. And by spiritual, all we talk about is love, compassion, empathy, wrestling with heightened vulnerability, mm -hmm. open to intimacy, because those are the only things that open we human beings up. And also, and, and Brene Brown says about spirituality that it's a sense of having a connection to something that is greater than us. Something, a connection yes. that, that can be a community, that can be a tradition, it could be a religion, but, but a connection to something that is bigger than us. Absolutely. You know, the great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, he's another one of my soul yes, companions, right. you know, like Coltrane, yeah. mm -hmm. that he used to say, 
something greater than us is asking us to do something. Mm-hmm. Is making a request and a demand of us. And that something bigger can be a God, but atheists can play that just as important role or more. It can be an ideal. It could be a tradition. It could be a commitment to artistic vocation. All of those things, something bigger than us yes. is asking us to do something yes. of help to others. Amen. Right on, Brother Rabbi Heschel. We're with you in terms of on the same love train. You just on the Judaic section of it. And I'm on the Jesus loving section of it. Well, he loved Jesus too, but not in the way that I do. He, he don't believe in Jesus. But we're on the same train together. Amen. Same is true with Angela Davis. She dead up secular, even though she come out of black church. She dead up secular in the atheistic wing. Right on, Angela. Love you. Love you. It's hard for the black church to ever really leave you if you if you were raised in it, I I suspect. I take a teensy break here. But I'll be fast. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle. Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. 
we're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. That wasn't so bad now, was it? Okay, let's get back to it. Um, one other thing, you said um, recently that the language of wokeness is detrimental. You recently said that if you stay woke, you suffer from insomnia. <laughs> I believe in being fortified. <laughs> wokeness is a moment in our attempt to fortify ourselves to be love warriors, be wounded healers, and to be freedom fighters, all three at the same time. Can you can you expand a bit on, on that and what it, I guess what it means to be fortified, how we fortify ourselves as opposed to wokeness? Because you, if you watch, you know, conservative news, you know, or listen, they're like, oh, woke is killing us. <laughs> this anti-woke sentiment that's permeating conservative media now. So I, I would love for you to expand on what you mean by what we need, what it means to fortify ourselves. I was saying kind of in jest that uh, <laughs> wokeness is a beautiful thing because it means you shattered the sleepwalking, which means you shattered your complicity and complacency vis-a-vis oppressive status quo. But what we want are long distance runners in the struggle for love and justice. Mm-hmm. And you can't be a long distance runner if you just woke every second. Mm-hmm. That was part of a kind of joke in terms of insomnia, yeah, you know, that you got to Fortify yourself to recognize when you are woke, you're seeing things you hadn't seen before. You're feeling things deeper. You're acting more courageously. But there's moments in which you're going to have to steal away. Go need some sleep, brothers and sisters. Mm. You got to pace yourself for the long run. We just lost one of the greatest track athletes of all time, Lee Evans, Mm. who was the greatest 440 and 400 meter runner ever. And He had a wokeness in terms of his discipline. And when he was practicing and disciplined, he was the most woke on the track field. Mm. But he knew he was going to have to somehow have a whole life so that he could be the great track person that he was, meet after meet, year after year. And so he fortified himself. And I think anytime we think of great athletes like Lee Evans, great musicians like Ben Webster or Mary Lou Williams, they were fortified. What does fortified mean? Put on the whole arm, whole arm. Mm, put on that whole armor. Any justice that's only justice soon degenerates into something less than justice. You need a love to keep your justice afloat. Oh, yes. Because if you're only concerned about justice and you don't have a deep love, care, and concern for the folk you're fighting for, you're going to sell out pretty soon. You're going to get bought off real quick. But if you got a deep care, even when you change your ideology, mm-hmm. like Malcolm, mm-hmm. you see, he had a love that cut so deep that it informed his new conceptions of justice, mm-hmm. embracing struggles against patriarchy, embracing struggles against any form that loses sight of the humanity. And in that sense, you know, the shift from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X at the end, it hardly gets better than that. Mm, amazing. You um, often talk about 
Du Bois's four questions that, that he has for yeah. young people. You often mention it, I think, because I think we live in an anti-intellectual era. We live in an era where predatory capitalism, where people want to make a lot of money and, and greed is just is rampant, right? And you've said this in other ways that people just want to be successful, but not great. And, and, and the money right. motives and the integrity piece. So in, you know, in 2021, what are your thoughts on Du Bois' four questions now for young people? And... Do you still feel it's it, it, those questions are relevant? You know what what Du Bois asked us. Do um, you want? Should I? Do you want to tell us what they are? Should I tell it? Oh, 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 absolutely no! And I had a feeling you'd like to. <laughs> well, I appreciate you mentioning those. And how shall integrity face oppression? What does honesty do in the face of deception? What does decency do in the face of insult? How shall courage meet brute force? Those questions are as relevant as they can be today. The oppression is still there. All parts of the world, Europe, Middle East, Asia, United States, where's the intellectual, moral, and spiritual integrity to tell the truth? Deception, lies everywhere. Where's the honesty to point it out and then lay bare what the alternative is? And then you think of the assaults and attacks, micro and macro. Where is the decency? Decency is a revolutionary act in an indecent society. For me, that's what decency is, Mm -hmm. making sure that the golden rule is amplified across the board. I want you to do to poor folk in the south side of Los Angeles, white brothers and sisters in Appalachia, precious trans folk in Brazil, Palestinians on the West Bank, Jews in Russia. Muslims in China, do to them what you would want to be done to you, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. personally and structurally. And so Du Bois's question, integrity, honesty, decency, courage. Oh, if we had a renaissance of those, we had a moral spiritual renaissance of those, we're on our way to revolution. Mm. But there's a price to pay. It's trickier for Black politicians, I think. Um, It it was easier for Clinton and for Biden to talk about race than it was for Obama because— He's black. Right, so so right. The, the, the still no excuse for Obama, but it's harder to talk about. Yeah. But the political calculations that black politicians have to do, that black celebrities have to do to maintain a certain level of of not sort of being canceled, I guess, or just or being able to continue to have a platform, continue to be able to do some right. kind of work. There are choices that have to be made. And it's and it's like it, are those choices anti our integrity. There's the incrementalism and there's the revolutionary. The consequences of step telling the truth. You have lived those, right? We've seen when you were campaigning for um, Sanders last year and, and, and year before, and all of a sudden I saw you on television again. I saw people looking to you with reverence when you said we've done enough to put Black faces in high places. I, it just, there was something so beautiful about it, right? That th- some, somehow the culture had shifted and you were still, you know, saying the same things and doing the same things, but then the, the world <laughs> kind of came around. You were able to, you're, you're in the academy and I know you weren't tenured at Harvard, but you were tenured at other places, so you were able to, you know, continue to survive and to, uh, and, and to take care of yourself for those folks who want to be able to tell the truth, but the consequences of telling the truth, right? There are real life consequences that you know when you tell the truth. And, you know, the way in which Sanders last year went um, right before Super Tuesday, the way all of the candidates sort of dropped out and coalesced behind Biden, because Sanders was such a threat to the status quo, it was such for me 
an example of how the system is relentless. That's true. Um, what Bell Hooks calls imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. After that, cis-normative, heteronormative, imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy is relentless in trying to, in fortifying its own power. And so in the face of all of that and the consequences of telling the truth, the consequences of being in, in one's integrity, everyone is not able to bounce back. Yeah. What would you say to that, doc- Dr. West? I, I, I don't really think there is a definitive answer. It's only our lives that are lived in response to that question. Mm-hmm. I think about Theolonius Monk, you know, one of the great geniuses who went silent those last years of his life every day, getting up, mm-hmm. looking out the window year after year. We don't know what went into that, but he had already given the world so much. And yet, his response is going to be, in the end, very different than, you know, the ways in which Billie Holiday would respond. Yes. Uh, and she's going through her own catastrophic experiences. But all of them are going to have enough resilience to give us enough to help us in our resilience for the next generation. Mm-hmm. See, Amen. What you've already given, Sister Laverne, is extraordinary and more to come. But whatever comes, you push it to the end of what you could. That's our kenosis. That's our emptying of ourselves, our giving, our donating, and sacrificing of ourselves, right? And with me, I've tried to do all that I can do. I dropped dead tomorrow night with a smile on my face. I gave all that I could give, but it was still not enough. It's never enough Mm. because the world is too overwhelmingly dim and grim in its many ways. But there's enough light, enough love, enough justice enough compassion to keep the cloud of witnesses going from one generation to the next. But that's really not a definitive answer because history is always open-ended. You don't know. Absolutely. We have to wrap up, which is um, such a shame. And I'd like to end the podcast with a question that comes from my therapy, from the community resiliency model, from the idea of both and. When I'm struggling, what do I use to kind of get through? What else is true for me? What helps me to get through? I can choose to focus on what's difficult, right? And that what we focus on sort of magnifies, but I can choose to focus on something that is neutral or positive in my life, something that helps me get through a resource. So, Dr. Cornell West, today for you, what else is true? For me, see, I believe in revolutionary piety. Mm. And piety is remembrance. It is reverence for something bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And it is resistance that allows you to want to serve and sacrifice for what is bigger and better. What are the sources of good in your life that have allowed you to preserve your sanity and your dignity in your deepest and darkest hours? Mm-hmm. And you have to have something to pull from. Yes. It doesn't just fall down from the sky. It comes out of your mama, your daddy, your grandparents, your friends, your partners, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your teachers, your coaches, invisible folk who you never seen but you read their text. It could be Plato, it could be Diop, it could be Dostoevsky, it could be Gwendolyn Brooks, mm-hmm. it could be Lorica, or it could be Pasternak. All of them can constitute your community of voices. And then you got to follow the Negro National Anthem. Lift your voice, not yes. your echo. Yes. Let the echo chamber go. 
find your voice, lift your voice, be of service to others with the voice that you have given the vocation that God has given you such that you can allow the love inside of you to have impact on folk who feel unloved. So they think of doing things they didn't even think they could do. They have possibilities that they had downplayed, but you provided a certain way of looking at the world such that they could begin to actualize them. Why? Because that's what the folk did for us. That's what's kept not just black folk going. That's the best of the human spirit. Amen. Oh yeah. As you were just talking now, I was reminded, and um, we started with bell hooks. Yes. And in yearning, bell hooks writes, "Our struggle too is also one of memory against forgetting. How do we remember? Mm. And when we can remember, so much else is true. There's so many things that can get us through these catastrophic times. These." Lose infused times. Thank you so much, Dr. West. Um, you're on social media. I follow you on Instagram, and we and you have the Tightrope podcast. Where can folks find find you? <laughs> I always ask people. Yeah, that. I'm on just Twitter and 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 and, and Facebook and things. But I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are just beyond extraordinary in terms of your mind, your heart, your soul, your willingness to love, love and serve. And you, you're one of the grand examples that I talk about. Very much so. Very, very grateful right now in this moment. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you so much, Dr. West. Thank you. Thank you. Love and respect. I wish I can give you a hug. <laughs> Virtually, there, there's a virtual hug. Dr. Cornell West. Wow. I have to tell you, I was so nervous. I've been just steeped in his writings and speeches and interviews for, for quite some time preparing for this. And it was just such a beautiful experience sharing ideas and virtual space with him. He's been such a huge influence on me and my work. He, he talked about being an example and how important it is to have those examples of how how to love through adversity, how to love through injustice, how to love through indecency and terrorism and trauma and shame, how to love. How to love, how to love, how to love. Justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. Oh my goodness, it is such a beautiful thing. And I think it is so important for us to be respectful of our elders, even when they are imperfect, even when um, we don't agree with them, that there is respect and kindness because the road that they have walked is a road that we can learn from. And I love being in the space of respect for Dr. Cornel West, being in respect of, of Bell Hooks. Both of them are key in my coming to critical consciousness around issues of race, gender, and class, and they continue to be teachers for me. And we should be looking at their example and holding them up, holding them up and celebrating them and giving them their flowers while they are here. Thank you so much, Dr. Cornell West. Thank you for being a love warrior and being a beautiful, beautiful example for us all. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to The Laverne Cox Show. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. Join me next week for my conversation about the challenges Black women face as they search for intimate partners and create families, especially if they're educated. Dr. Sarah Adayinka-Skold, social worker and assistant professor of sociology at Furman University, shares her latest research with us about Black women in the dating world. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Laverne Cox and on Facebook at Laverne Cox For Real. Until next time. Stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, I'm Glennon Doyle, author of Untamed and host of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. On We Can Do Hard Things, my wife, Abby, my sister, Amanda, and I do the only thing we've found that has ever made life any easier. We drop the fake and we just talk really raw and honestly about all the hard parts of life. So come on over and join us and some of our friends and greatest heroes like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Tracy Ellis Ross, Gloria Steinem, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brandi Carlisle, Brene Brown, and our beloved community, the Pod Squad. You'll hear refreshingly honest conversations, trust me, about sex, gender, parenting, blended families, our bodies, anxiety, addiction, feeling overwhelmed, just all of it. Life is hard, so let's do it together. Meet us every Tuesday and Thursday for We Can Do Hard Things, one of Apple and Spotify's top shared podcasts of 2023. Listen to and follow We Can Do Hard Things, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.